Well, in March, some of our former members, Yaman and Naveen and their children, finally received their tickets to move to Australia. And when they did, they could not hold back tears of joy. Hugs expressing much gratefulness were, went around to everybody as they had waited for four and a half years for that immigration process. <clears throat> during that process, much had changed in them. The greatest of all during that time of waiting was that they came to know Jesus truly as Savior and Lord. They were baptized right here in the front of the church. They began to study the Bible, and Yaman even began studying theology with the hope that one day he could become an elder in a church, whether this one or another. You know, a promise that comes to pass after a very long time of waiting often comes with great relief and much joy. Abram and Sarah, they desired children, and yet Sarah was unable to conceive. When God called them to move far from their home, Abram was 75 years old, and Sarah 65. But that call, back in Genesis 12 too, it came with a promise, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That, that, of course, becoming a, a great nation meant children. Yet month after month after month, no baby. Eleven years passed. And Sarah came up with her own solution. She said, the, the Lord has not given me children. She's, he's kept me from having children. So go Sleep with my slave, Hagar. Perhaps I can build a family through her. That's where Ishmael comes into the story. And then, 13 years later, God speaks again. And he says in a promise that his promise, the one all the way back in 12, will come through Sarah. And both Abraham and Sarah laugh. How can old people like us bear children? And friends, when God, when God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. And it will always come on time. You may not see it. You may not even see the fulfillment of that promise. Our, our lives are so short. Our perspective is so limited. It's like, it's like living among the trees, but never understanding or seeing the whole forest. But as we'll see in Genesis 21, this is the eternal God. He sees all things in every way. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees even our faith, our weaknesses. And somehow he brings all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The main idea I want you to see today as we're going through Genesis chapter 21 is this, 
Trust the eternal God who fulfills his promises and hears our distress. Trust the eternal God who fulfills his promises and hears our distress. We'll start in verse 7, or 127, thinking about God's promise that every promise is on time. And we'll continue in verses 8 to 21, thinking about how to hold on to his promises through our distresses and difficult choices. Then we'll consider in verses 22 to 34 how we witness God's work. Okay, that's where we're going. Now, when I worked, uh, before, I, before I got into ministry, when I worked at the General Electric Company, they had a corporate vision. That vision was called Workout. The whole point was efficiency, getting the most done in the least amount of time with the least cost to the company. They were trying to get work out and make more money. As one who's eternal, God is not worried about efficiency. He's not worried about time. As the creator of all things, he's not worried about getting the most or reducing cost. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. God wasn't worried about Sarah getting pregnant and nursing children. For them, for us, that just, that just seems impossible. But for God Almighty, it's easy. For Abraham and Sarah, really for everyone, God's every promise is on time. And that's our first point. Now, I want you to look in verses 1 and 2, how many times Moses, the author of, of this book, how many times in verses 1 and 2 he presses that point. Verse 1, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And he did for Sarah what he had promised. <laughs> Verse 2, Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And when, when did God fulfill his promise? Well, verse 5, look at that. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That's 25 years after the first promise came to Abraham. This was the Lord's plan. This was the Lord's plan for Abraham and Sarah. For sure, Abraham and Sarah longed to have a child from the early days of their marriage, long before we even get much from their lives. Certainly, they were sad. They were distressed when it was clear that Sarah couldn't conceive. Yet the Lord opened Sarah's womb and delivered his promise exactly when he planned it. When that promised child came, there, there was great rejoicing. I mean, look, look there at Sarah's response in verses 6 and 7. She is shouting praise to God. She, she even uses 
Isaac's name in, in this shout of praise, the, the name means he laughs. You see that there? God has brought me laughter, or Isaac. Everyone who hears this will Isaac with me. They will laugh with me. I, can, you, can you see the joy in her words? I mean, I, I imagine this 90-year-old woman is just dancing around as she's laughing and rejoicing in what God has done. She continues, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who? Well, the answer is no one but the Lord God Almighty, the eternal God. Only he could could say that. Friends, God has a point in our waiting. God had a point in Abraham and Sarah's waiting. No one could bring about this child except God and him alone. And and that, that we even see in this chapter that that those around also understood it that way. When when Abimelech says God is with you in everything you do. Are you waiting are you waiting on the Lord for something? Maybe you've, maybe you've prayed and prayed to God for it and, and, and it just hasn't come. Maybe you've waited a long time. Maybe you're even distressed <clears throat> seeing that other people are enjoying what seems should be everybody's or every person's joy. But your prayer, your prayer has yet to see that answer. There's a a couple questions for you to ask as you're in that waiting time, as you're waiting on the Lord. First is desire. Desire. Are your desires God's desires? Ask yourself that question. I mean, if you want something that's against God's word and his character, why should he grant that to you? So check your desires. Secondly, attention. Does your desire have more, or does that that want have more of your time and attention than the Lord? There's someone who once said, a good desire is a bad desire if it becomes a ruling desire. What that means is a good desire can become wrong if you want that thing more than God himself. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 32 and 33 says this. For the pagans run after all these things. He's talking about clothes and food and, and things like that. The pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Abraham and Sarah's desire to have children was a godly desire. And they pursued it with faithfulness to God's word as they waited and they waited and they waited for a long time, all the way up until that chapter 16 when, when Sarah introduces her own solution to bear a child. That, uh, that was not in God's character. And yet God allowed it. 
here in chapter 21, further distress from that very decision in chapter 16 comes up here. <clears throat> we, we see, before we get there, I want, I want to show you Abraham's faithfulness to the Lord's commands. Look in, in verse 3 and 4. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Now, that's the name that God gave him to give Isaac back in chapter 17. And then, and then verse, the next verse, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded that was also from chapter 17. God had told him, you will name this child Isaac. You will circumcise him on the eighth day. Abraham does it exactly. Now, I know many of the members and, and people who come here regularly to this fellowship, I, I know many of the circumstances of life that you are facing. I, I, know, I know how difficult life has been for many of you. Many are waiting on God faithfully, praying fervently. It's actually one of the things that makes this gathering so amazing because of your joy in Christ. In, in spite of the distresses of life and the waiting on God to work. And friends, you who are doing that well are making God famous. I know that when you join with brothers and sisters singing loudly and with great zeal, you're, you're looking beyond those circumstances and the situations that you're in, and you're putting your faith and trust in the eternal God, the one who's already reached through the trouble of your life and, and has set you upon a rock. You're standing firm on his word, the word of Christ, so that when, when the wind and the waves of life come and beat against you, you're standing firm. And friends, those winds and waves do beat against us. They do, they will. Sometimes, even in the midst of God's blessing, they beat against us. And friends, that's why we can never take our eyes off of Christ. Never move your eyes from Jesus, the object of our faith. We must keep them fixed on the eternal God who fulfills his promises and hears our distress. Let's look now at our second point, which takes us to verse 8, distresses and difficult choices. Now there in verses 8 to 10, Abraham is throwing this big party. It's, it, it's a party for Isaac finishing that, that period in his life where he's nursing. It's a big deal because now Isaac is old enough. He'll likely survive into adulthood, and, and that means he will become Abraham's rightful heir, the one who will receive his inheritance. Everyone's there. Eating and drinking, laughing, maybe dancing, until, until Sarah looks over and she sees Ishmael laughing. Oh, but he's not laughing at the party or with the party. He's mocking 
Isaac. That word to describe Ishmael's behavior is actually a play on Isaac's name. He's laughing in a, in a, in a mean way. Now Sarah sees that this could be a, actually a bigger problem in years to come. And so she says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. This is verse 10. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And friends, that's when Abraham's party turns from great rejoicing to great distress. There in verse 11. Well, because Abraham, Abraham loved Isaac, uh, Ishmael. Abraham loved him. Even when God told Abraham back in chapter 17 that Sarah would bear him a son, after, after he fell on his face worshiping and laughing, he, he gets up and he says, oh, if, if only Ishmael may live under your blessing. And now, now Abraham has raised that boy into his teen years. By, by this time, when the party's happening, Ishmael is like 14, 15. Abraham is faced with a very difficult choice. Now, it's an impossible choice. We, we read over that so quickly that it's so easy to miss the emotion that would have been there, the gut-wrenching distress that Abraham was going through in that very moment. Should he listen to his wife and divorce Hagar and disown his son Ishmael? Not sure if, if they would live or what would happen to them in the future. Or should he disregard her words and threaten the inheritance and the blessing that God had promised would come through Isaac. What's he going to do? Remember last time Abraham listened to Sarah's voice. Ishmael was the product of that. If he listens now to Sarah and sends them away, is he, is he setting up for a curse the very one who had been to him a blessing? You know, I wonder how many nights Abraham might have laid awake in distress if God had not intervened in that moment. Maybe you're in distress right now. Maybe, maybe by some bad news or some impossible circumstance that you're facing. Maybe you too are facing a difficult choice or decision, an impossible outcome. You know, it's, it's so easy to get angry or depressed, to feel paralyzed, unable to move one way or the other. Maybe, and maybe that situation is out of your control, something, something you can't really do anything about. What are you going to do? How should you respond? Should you respond? Well, church, we've, we've, we've heard a, um, a lot about prayer this summer, and, and this is yet another reason to be a praying church. And, and oh, that we would seek God 
and cry out to Him and beg Him for wisdom. We need, we need our faith family in times of distress and difficult choices. That's not the time to go off and face it alone. Your brothers and sisters, they may not have the answers, but they do have a heart. They have a heart to pray. And the one we pray to is the eternal God who hears our distress. God does reassure Abraham. He does here in verses 12 and 13. He says, Abraham, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. He gives them instruction. Because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. God confirms that he will bless Ishmael as he had promised back in, in chapter 17. Back in chapter 17 verses 20 and 21 he said as for Ishmael I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and he and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 nations or rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. God God reassures Abraham Abraham there and tells him the path forward. And Abraham in verse 14, he, he, he obeys quickly. Early the next morning, Abraham sent off Hagar and the boy. And, and perhaps, perhaps you're feeling pity for Hagar and Ishmael. And I think that's, that's, not, a, that's not a bad thing to feel at that moment. Uh, we find at this point that God does too. God does too. He heard Ishmael's cry. And interestingly enough, that's a play on Ishmael's name. Ishmael's name means God hears me. And God does sustain Ishmael's life. He provides water and he promises to make him into a great nation. Now having having nearly died of thirst there in, in verse 19, God then opens Hagar's eyes and she sees a well from which they drink. And now then alive, Ishmael would go on to grow in skill. He'll become an archer. He receives a wife uh, by his mother's hand from Egypt. Don't, don't you see God's great compassion and, and care to, to Hagar and Ishmael? but also to, to Abraham in this. I just want to say, child of God, God knows what you need. And he knows, maybe even better than you, when you need it. It may not come when you want, but his care will always, always come on time. He is an on-time God, and his promises never fail. 
I don't know if you noticed, uh, but Ishmael's name is never really mentioned in this chapter. Did, did you happen to see that when, when reading through it, maybe even earlier in this week? Isaac's name is six times. Isaac's name is specifically mentioned. And then three times the meaning of his name, that laughter, comes up in, in different ways. It's clear as clean water that Isaac is the focus of this chapter. He is the child of promise. And it's, it's more significant when we look at this story you know, through the understanding of the gospel, which would then come 1,500 years later. You see, that's, that's why we read that part in Galatians where Paul, Paul was, was talking about Abram's son, born of the slave woman, born according to the flesh. That is, he came as a result of a man-centered solution. Isaac, however, is the son of the free woman. He was born as the result of a divine promise. Now, I think for every, every person, somehow, deep, deep down inside us, there is a, an understanding that there is a God and that we ought to be reconciled with him. The Bible says... In Psalm 51.5, it says, Surely I was sinful from birth, from the, the, sinful from the moment my mother conceived me. And according to the flesh, according to that, our, our naturally how we are, are come into this world, we're all slaves. We're all slaves to sin. We can't, we can't help but sin. And mankind over the years, or millennium, has come up with many hundreds of ways, man-centered ways, man-centered religions to seek to bridge this gap between us and God. But, but God, God was also concerned about that. And he had a plan. He, he made a promise that he, he was the one who could do what mankind could not do. He would bridge the gap between us and Jesus is that one. Jesus came from God into the world as a baby, as the result of a divine promise. He is God, God-centered solution, the child of promise. We, we would read in Matthew that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was a promise all the way back in Isaiah, 750 years before. Jesus was then crucified. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, ascending into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, according to the scriptures. And when you trust in God's promised child, Jesus, he then sets us free free from our slavery to sin, and he changes everything. He actually changes our family. Paul continues there in verse 31 in, in, in Galatians 4. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but children of the free woman. And Galatians 5.1 then would say, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free.
So friends, if you don't know this Jesus, I want to call you to trust. Trust in Jesus, God's promised one, and be set free from the guilt and the power of sin. Trusting in Jesus, it will change us. It changes us. You, you should never be the same again after trusting in Christ. Because we no longer belong to, to, to sin in a sinful nature, we belong to Christ. And we will begin to look more and more like Him as we follow Him. When we trust God's promises, rather than following our sinful flesh, people start to take notice. People should see it. I love, I love some of the stories here in this room, how your family has seen it and come back and said, You're, you've changed. You're different. That's part of what we see in verses 22 and through 34, our third point, witness God's work. And, and that point has two meanings. One is active. We witness or we share the work of God to others. The other meaning is passive. We, we witness or we get to see God at work as we wait. We're going to consider both of these in this part of the chapter. First, we witness God's work to others. In verse 22, this guy Abimelech re-enters the scene. Remember, he's the king who took Sarah into his harem in that last chapter. And right, bef- right before Sarah would have gotten pregnant, it, it, it could have destroyed everything. But God spoke to Abimelech in a dream, telling him that, as, that he was as good as dead because of this woman, Sarah, that he had taken. And that Abraham, her husband, he was a prophet, and he would pray for Abimelech so that God would heal him and his family. Abimelech, I mean, sorry, Abraham does pray, and God does heal them. Well, as we pick back up into this story with Abimelech, it's been around three or four years since that earlier encounter with God, and now Abimelech has witnessed this 90-year-old woman that was in his harem for a moment, bear a child with her 100-year-old husband, the same guy who prayed for his healing. And Abimelech is starting to get it. Do you see that? That's what he says. Man, this God of Abraham is powerful. God has blessed Abraham with a lot of wealth and with many animals and people. And so Abimelech's concerned. I mean, this 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 is Abimelech's land. And Abraham's just kind of there as a Bedouin. He says, I've got to protect myself and my descendants. I, I need a good relationship with this guy, Abraham. You see how he begins there? In verse 22, acknowledging God. God is with you in everything you do. And then, and then he continues on in verse 23. Now swear before God that you will not deal with falsely with me. <laughs> That's kind of what happened in the last chapter. Uh, and show me in the land where you reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham agrees so quick. Did you see that? Verse, was that 24? Abraham said, I swear it. 
Why would he do that? Well, because basically Abimelech is asking Abraham to act in line with God's character. To be truthful, to be kind. And I think Abraham's starting to, to get it too. Now, the, the second way we, we witness God's work is what happens next. So in verse 25, Abraham has a complaint. Abimelech's servants have taken a well that he himself had, had dug. To, to, get, to grasp this, we've got to understand, Abraham has seen God fulfill that first promise of offspring. Just happened. And, and now, you know, Isaac is there as the answer to that promise. Now he gets to witness God beginning to fulfill the second promise of land. You see, back in chapter 12, God had promised Abraham offspring and land. Isaac is the, the born as the child of promise. But Abraham, at this point, doesn't own even a single meter of land in the region. He has nothing. He's a wandering shepherd, a Bedouin. So during this treaty ceremony, which starts in, in 27, goes on to verse 30, Abraham does something interesting. He sets aside these seven lambs and he calls them a witness. It's a sign to Abimelech that Abraham dug the well. You know, so it's similar to what Abimelech did when he gave a, a thousand shekels for Sarah as a witness to vindicate her. Well, now Abimelech vindicates Abram and he agrees to give the well to Abraham. <laughs> it's the first thing that Abraham owns in the region. It's the very same well that Hagar and Ishmael that brought Hagar and Ishmael back from the brink of death, from the edge of death. This well, Beersheba, is life for Abraham's family. And it's the first sign that God is going to fulfill that second promise. You know how refreshing it is to receive cool, clean water especially on a hot day like now. Well, Jesus, Jesus is like that living water. In fact, speaking to a woman at a well in John chapter 4, Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water, they'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And later on in John, he's, he's at the festival. He stands up in the middle of the festival. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John had one more 
thought on living water concerning Jesus back in Revelation. Revelation 7, 17, speaking of Jesus, the angel tells John, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, friends, that's our hope. That's our that's what we're looking forward to. And and Abraham. Take take joy in what you were reading in, in, in Abraham's life. Abraham won't see the land promise fulfilled at all in his lifetime. In fact, neither will Isaac. And neither will Isaac's son, Jacob. It won't be fulfilled until Abraham's descendants enter back into that promised land over 400 years later. But look back at what Abraham does, how he responds to this, this grace of God, perhaps seeing, seeing in a way its fulfillment as being beyond his lifetime. What does he do? He plants an evergreen tree, a tamarisk. Evergreen. And he calls on the name of the Lord with a new name, the eternal God. Friends, God is ever living. He is eternal. And he's doing things in this world that will reach far beyond our lifetimes. When Abraham was walking, he could see that he and his family, they were foreigners. They were strangers on this earth. We are too. We are foreigners and strangers. Hebrews eleven sixteen says they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Right before that, Hebrews 11.10 says that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, Abraham's between two promises. The promise of offspring had come, but he's waiting on this promise of land. And Christian, we too are living between two promises. We have received the son of promise, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, but we have yet as we to receive that promised kingdom of God, we wait. It's, it's, it's one promise is already, the other promise is not yet. And so friends, as Abraham, set your eyes on the lamb who leads you to living water as you wait for God's promises to be fulfilled through the difficulties of this life. Whatever you're going through, Look not to your circumstances. Don't get so absorbed in the distresses of your life. Like Abraham, call on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Plant your feet on Christ and trust that he's going to take care of the rest because he will. Trust the eternal God who fulfills his promises and here's our distresses. Let's pray.
God, you know, you know the many things that, that cause pain in our lives, whether it be physical or political, whether it be waiting for children, that you would open the womb, or, or whether it be any other thing. Father, we, we pain in the moment, but we know that you are God who hears. You are God who has promised and you have come through on that promise of Christ who has freed us from our sin. Lord, give us courage and strength as we wait for your return, as we wait for the promise to be in your kingdom with you forever, where you will lead us to living streams of living water and wipe away every tear. In Christ's name we pray, amen.